DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. Got a lot to get to this morning and a lot of football. Uh, it's time for the spring football tour. The NFL draft is in the rearview mirror. We love to go up and down the schedules for the local teams and take a look at where some of the opponents are, where they're headed, what they look like. Today it's Colorado and Washington out of the Pac-12. Talking with Brian Howell and Christian Capel. Brian Howell covers the uh, Buffaloes for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. And Christian Capel uh, covers the Washington Huskies for the Athletic. Now, it works out how it works out. We got calls out to a lot of people to Mountain West schools. BYU obviously is playing some Pac-12 schools, so when you hit the youth schedule, there's overlap with the Cougars. The Cougars play some Mountain West schools, so there's overlap with the Aggie schedule. And you throw the the way it works is Yawk reaches out to all these people, and then whoever gets back to us whenever they can do it, we plug them in. And in other years, Yawk has to work around vacations, but you know nobody's traveling right now. <laughs> so now he has to walk, work around Zoom meetings. <laughs> That's how that works. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting the way it worked out. We had both these guys on late in the show yesterday. We want to replay them for you, the early risers, because we're not getting people from the Pacific time zone on in the 6 o'clock hour, because that would be 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so that's not happening. Uh, but what's interesting is what they have in common, and that is... They both have new coaching staffs. They both had turnover there um, in Chris Peterson into some type of semi-retirement. Uh, I think everyone thinks he's going to come back and take another job at some point. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. But like Bob Stoops, he left really early, but very successful with an excellent reputation. So if he ever decides he wants to coach, there will be a line of people ready to hire Bob Stoops or Chris Peterson. Uh, but Jimmy Lake's got to take that over. And then in Colorado, they got the whole Mel Tucker scenario where he takes off for Michigan State for big money and leaves them in a lurch. And they go out and get uh, and get Carl Durrell, the former UCLA coach, former UCLA star. So... What these guys have is this transition, and it's less for Lake than it is for Darrell. Darrell coming out, you know, with the late hire from outside. But no spring ball. You got to break in a new quarterback, and you've got the other changes, and you got to put a staff together, and then you don't have spring ball and you don't have meetings. And so, how much does that leave you behind the curve? In the case of Washington, you know, what is the talent like there? We know the talent's below average at Colorado. That's an issue. And they got to replace LaVisca Chanel, who was, you know, their game breaker. Uh, so, we'll talk to these guys about where these programs are, and obviously a little more. Um, a little more urgency uh, for the youths because they're in the south of Colorado. But as you'll hear from Brian Howell, Colorado, th- this is a long-term project. They're just there is no quick fix. It's this is not going to happen. So you hear from them coming up. Uh, Christian Cable covers the uh, the Huskies for the Athletic. Uh, first, we'll hear from Brian Howell, who covers the Buffaloes for the Boulder Daily Camera. Right now, though, we want you to meet Greg Angle. He is the Mountain Star Division President for Mountain Star Healthcare, and. You know, healthcare is constantly changing, and obviously, coronavirus is a huge story. But there's a lot of people with health issues who need to go to hospital for one reason or another. Sometimes they can control the timing a little bit. Sometimes they can't. What does it mean for them? What does it mean for all our family, friends, neighbors who are working in the healthcare industry and what they're going through here? It's not what they're going through in New York. It's probably not even what they're going through in New Orleans or Detroit or Seattle or these other hotspots. But it's still it's still different. It's still intense. It's still stressful, and uh, Greg gets into that as well a little bit. Here's Greg Angle, Mountain Star Division President for Mountain Star Healthcare. 
It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, and we're joined now by Greg Angle, Mountain Star Healthcare. He is the Mountain Star Division President. Greg, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. No problem. Thanks for coming on. I think a lot of people are curious about uh, how this works. Whenever I do Zoom with friends or family, catching up with people, they all want to know how our life has changed, you know, since the coronavirus shut everything down. I'm thinking, well, healthcare, holy cow, this must have really turned your world upside down. It definitely did. Uh, our eight Mountain Star hospitals up and down the Wasatch Front from Cash Valley to Payson, uh, not too surprisingly, were dramatically impacted like most organizations across the country. Uh, we, were, we were impacted with the preparation for and the, the care of patients who would present with uh, the possibility of COVID-19. And we're also dramatically impacted by the slowdown, which was uh, mandated in order to main, maintain capacity and be certain that, uh, that we didn't expose other patients to, uh, to COVID-19. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously safety is a big issue. And with that in mind, what is doing? What is going on as far as precautions? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, we are fortunate to also be part of HCA Healthcare, which is the largest healthcare organization in the country with 184 hospitals across 21 states. And we're able to take advantage of of their data, their leadership, the best practices. Uh, subject matter experts and uh, both financial and supply chain resources. And so we've been able to bring uh, all these resources to bear to help protect our patients uh, with COVID-19 and those, of course, with, uh, with other conditions. And so we've, uh, we've implemented a number of strategies. Uh, we've we've um, uh, limited the number of entrances to our facilities so that we could screen all visitors and, and, uh, and patients coming to the facility. We've, we've got, of course, very thorough cleaning procedures in place. Uh, we segregate uh, our infectious patients from all other patients so, so um, they can all be safely cared for. And uh, so the bottom line is, you know, it's safe to come back to our hospitals for, their, for uh, patients' much-needed care. So we read stuff about elective surgery, and as near as I can tell, that's a pretty broad term. Uh, I mean, there's stuff that really is elective, but you can kind of choose when you're going to have a knee or hip replacement. I have an aunt who fell and broke her arm, so it's kind of healed, but it's 15 degrees off. So at some point, she's got to go back in and, and have work done on that. So for that, those kind of quote-unquote elective procedures, do you have them divided into groups? When is a good time to come back and do that if somebody's listening and they've got to plan this out? How, how does all that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. And really, the, the term elective is kind of a misnomer. I mean, when most people hear that term, they think that uh, it's, it's unnecessary or, or uh, maybe a more straightforward surgery. Really what it means is scheduled. And there are urgent and time-sensitive scheduled procedures that, that need to take place. And so uh, it, great care is, is really needed in order for us to understand exactly what the patient's needs are, what the, what the surgeon's best uh, possible treatment plan for that patient is. And so we are taking a conservative approach currently, and uh, we have limited ourselves to only those cases which are 
which are urgent, emergent, or, or time sensitive. And in particular, there's been concern that, you know, we not overload the hospital and uh, that we try to avoid those surgeries that might require an overnight stay. Uh, but quite frankly, most of our facilities are, are now at 30 or 35 or 40 percent occupancy. And so to even taking patients, you know, that require an overnight stay is, is, is probably manageable. And, and the interesting thing, and I think you touched on it just now, is that there are studies that are coming out now that are saying that as many as a third of Americans are postponing necessary care because of their fear. They're concerned that they might come to the hospital and they might contract the virus. And, uh, and quite frankly, we've got precautions in place to be able to care for that. I mean, we have examples of patients who, are, who have GI bleeds, who are not paying attention to stroke and heart attack symptoms. And we've seen our emergency departments and even our cath lab uh, you know, volumes diminish in areas where you would certainly not refer to those as elective cases. So then I think everybody wants to go when they when they go to the hospital, they want to know that the staff is doing all that they can and that the staff is maintaining at full capacity. And what you're saying is you're able to make sure that the staff, whatever that might be, there's not doctors, nurses and so forth, that everything is running the way it should be. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You want to have full confidence if you're coming to your your preferred hospital, and so we are working very very hard to make certain that that uh, that our patients and our communities uh, have have total trust that uh, we can care for them. And so, you know, the very first thing that that we had to do was take care of our our colleagues. And I'm really really proud to to say that uh, you know one of the things that we experienced was this dramatic slowdown in in volumes. And so when that occurred, of course, we didn't have enough work. Uh, to give our our colleagues their full hours, and so uh, again, being, being part of HCA Healthcare, uh, who have incredible um, pay, pay and benefit programs already in place, we were able to uh, help mitigate the financial uh, crisis that comes uh, also with our employees, and so. We implemented two programs. Uh, the first we refer to as the pandemic pay program. And so if there's an employee who we can't redeploy to another area to give them their hours, then we'll pay up to 70% of those hours missed according to their normal paycheck. And then again, if they're uh, quarantined for any reason, if they've been exposed through the course of work or even at, even uh, in their, uh, from their family life, then we'll pay up to 100% of their salary uh, in order to, to keep them whole. And so I'm really proud to say that so far we haven't had to furlough any colleagues nor implement any, any layoffs. And our leadership uh, you know, led by example here. Our, uh, the CEO of our company donated 100% of his salary to our employee giving fund, the HOPE Fund. Our leaders, uh, both nationally and locally, have taken a 20 to 30 percent pay cut, all so that we could mitigate salary disruption for our frontline leadership and staff. So that's just the financial aspect of keeping our workforce whole. Because if you come to the hospital, you're going to want you know the, the fully functioning, skilled, trained employees. But then in addition. You know, we've made certain through through our national supply chain that we have the personal protective equipment. We're we're laundering uh, our employees' scrubs so that they don't have to take them home and worry about them. We're we're laboratory testing for COVID to make certain that our employees and physicians alike, you know, know who, what what the risks are for these employees. 
We've worked out arrangements with hotel chains so that, so that employees can stay at a hotel if, if they're concerned that they don't want to take something home to, to, their, to their families. We've provided frontline meals. We've, offered, uh, we've created a healthy market in some of our hospitals. And we've implemented a, a free call line to, to, uh, for employees to speak with mental health professionals at any time because we know it's a stressful time. So we've done a lot to make certain that uh, everything that, that a patient would need uh, would be immediately available to them should they come to our hospitals. Greg Angle joining us, Mountain Star Healthcare. He's the division president. So uh, a lot of people have questions about testing. Uh, is there anything that can, can be done at your facilities that you want to share as far as how that should work for people who have questions and wonder if they need to get tested? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. We, we uh, initially, when the, the breakout occurred, our priority was testing those patients who would be needing hospitalization so that we knew exactly whether they were COVID positive or negative. Of course, if they're positive, then we have special precautions that need to be in place and uh, the utilization of per- personal protective equipment. And, and those were in scarce supply early on. And so, uh, but since that time, we've been able to shore up those resources, and now we're able to test more people um, on an ambulatory basis, on an outpatient basis. And so we have partnered uh, with the Silicon Slopes, uh, who have testing uh, facilities uh, at numerous uh, institutions at our Mountain Star hospitals, and, uh, and then we are running those labs. And, and so as we gear up, for example, and we are taking care of more surgical patients, uh, then prior to their surgery, because again, these are scheduled uh, two days prior to their surgery, then we're arranging for them to receive their testing. We've, we've told them where, where they can go to get, the, to get their tests, and then having those, those results then will inf- better inform us as to how best to care for them. A Test Utah is a is uh, is the uh, the website that can be uh, accessed to be able to learn more, a- answer your questions, and also to schedule your outpatient testing. All right, Greg. Anything else we should know? Anything else you want the public to know? Uh, hey, I just want to take this opportunity really quickly to, to thank you for uh, the ability to to get our message out. Uh, and in particular, I, I want to thank all of our frontline caregivers. They are personally modeling our mission. Above all else, we are committed to the care and improvement of human life. So they are our heroes here. We're, we're, we're here to back them up, and uh, we are just so impressed by their resilience, their adaptability, their selflessness, and their dedication to our communities. It's been really inspiring, and we thank them for all their efforts and for how they'll continue to serve our communities as we move forward. So again, thank you for the time, and, and thank you to, to all of our caregivers. There's Mountain Star Division President Greg Angle from Mountain Star Healthcare. When we come back, we're talking football. Brian Howe, Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for the Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Brian Howell, Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Brian joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing well, and I'm curious if Buff fans are doing well or if they're still stung by Mel Tucker bolting after a year and they're upset that Carl Durrell is in. Or, given all the events in the world and the coronavirus, it just seems weird to complain about college football coaches. And so, really, the whole thing's just kind of uh, quieted down. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's really upset about uh, Durrell being the coach. But I think they're going to be stung by Cal Tucker for a long time. I mean, that was that kind of came out of nowhere, and um, you know, Buff fans were blindsided by that. And uh, there's no love lost, uh, you know, between Tucker at this point. But I think Durrell. I mean, he's a guy that has a lot of roots at CU, and uh, they're ready to get behind him. Yeah, Darrell's a likable guy, that's for sure. Got to know him a little bit when he was down there with uh, the Bruins, and now it's the second time around here, and it's a big gap in between. Um, He has a a difficult job to an extent. You look at the quarterback, and it seems like Montez was a starter there for about eight years. (laughs) I know that's possible, but it just seems like he was there for a long, pretty good quarterback, and obviously got a free agent look here in the NFL quarterback situation i listened to Darrell's uh he did a teleconference call i think last month and he was talking about the two quarterbacks on campus you know one's a freshman and one was a backup uh, but now they don't have an opportunity to have that spring ball how do you think that competition is going to play out yeah that's interesting uh you know not having that spring ball for them uh was is big because uh you know they had the freshman that enrolled early, Brendan Lewis, that they really like. He's a dual threat from Texas. And, um, you know, there wasn't that chance to go through a spring ball. And then uh, you've got a couple of veterans, Tyler Lytle as uh, a junior, that uh, I think is probably the front runner at this point, especially with no spring ball. Uh, he'd probably be the front runner. He was Montez's backup uh, each of the last three years. And then, uh, you know, Sam Neuer is a kid that uh, was a backup that Tucker convinced to move to safety last year. And at the end of the season, he goes into the transfer portal, and then they convince him to come back because they needed some quarterback depth. So the three guys there, the program, you know, there's not a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, Neuer, the one that I think missed them. And so I think it's it's interesting to see how that competition is going to play out because they don't have – that extra uh, spring and summer to evaluate these guys. So we all watched the NFL draft because there was nothing else on, and LaVisca Chenault, obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, they got to him, and there's a ton of hype, and we all remember him and all the big plays he made, and they rolled a bunch of them out there because we show the, you know, the, the video and the best players, uh, the, the best plays by the best players. So obviously he made a lot of big plays. Who can make big plays? Who's a game changer for him now that he's gone? I think they have several. I mean, they've really stockpiled the wide receiver uh, position over the last few years. And Katie Nixon is one that uh, we've seen over the last couple of years that didn't have a great year last year. And uh, I don't think he uh, really adjusted well to the offense they ran last year. But, you know, Darren Chivarini is the offensive coordinator and his position coach, and he's running things now. And so I think he's going to be a big part of the offense. He's a guy 
like LaVisca, not the same size, but he's got that versatility where he can run the ball and also catch the ball. I think he's a game breaker. And then I think Daniel Arias is one that uh, he's only made a couple catches in his first two years, but uh, that's a potential all-conference type receiver, big kid that you know has just kind of slowly come along in the last couple of years. But he's one that, uh, you know, Shiverini believes could be a first-round draft pick by the time he's done. Looks like I can possibly pencil in Fontenot for 1,000 yards as a 1,000-yard rusher for the Buffs? Uh, possibly, but they've got competition there as well. I mean, Jared Mangum was a freshman last year that uh, played really well, and then they've got a, a four-star recruit coming in from Louisiana that they really like as well. So I think it could be sort of a three-man uh, rotation there. And But I think Fontenot you know, certainly came close to that 1,000-yard mark last year and, and could go for it, but I think that it could be more of a by committee, three-man type rotation. Given all the free time all of us have, uh, I've had time to go through some recruiting stuff. And I looked at, uh, and and it's not a perfect list probably, but we'll just use it for purposes here. Um, 24-7 Sports lists all the top in-state athletes. Uh, and and Colorado doesn't have a lot of four-star kids. I think there was one in the 2019 class. There's two in the 2020 class. Now that the 2019 class is done, you go back and you look, and only two of the top 10 in-state kids went to Colorado. And of the top 16 kids, 12 went to Pac-12 schools, but only five went to Colorado. How is this new staff constructed as far as recruiting? How much talent do they think they can get out of Colorado? Can they get back to Texas, which they recruited really well when they were in the Big 12 and they had really good teams in the Big 12. Have they shifted to Colorado because Carl Durrell obviously grew up in San Diego, played at UCLA, coached at UCLA. Is it going to be more of an emphasis on Colorado? How's Colorado going to recruit going forward? Yeah, I think they're still going to stay in California and Texas as much as possible. I mean, those have been the keys to their success in the past. And, you know, this is a state that's got some talent, but, you know, as as you mentioned there, there's not a lot of four-stars. There's not a lot of great talent in this state. And, you know, and so I think there's a lot of times that the coaches say, well, we'd rather take a third-tier receiver in Texas than the top-tier receiver in Colorado. Uh, You know, LaVisca Chenault was kind of a third-tier receiver out of Texas coming out of high school. And he was better than anything that was here in Colorado. So um, I think it's tough to recruit this state because it's a transient state. and There's a lot of kids that that really want to uh, go out of state and they don't want to come to CU. And I think uh, the the best way for CU to recruit in-state is to start winning football games because they're not real attractive to the in-state recruits right now. And they're going to do their best to try to get these guys. But I think it's really tough to get them right now. A stud linebacker, I think, went in the third round. Taylor, who's going to be able to step up defensively? He lost, uh, you know, really <laughs> kind of a raw player that I uh, was developing, and they're going to miss him. But uh, Nate Lamman, uh, the inside linebacker, is, I think, one of the top couple of linebackers in the Pac-12. I think he's going to be uh, big for them. But they've got to replace Taylor on the outside. They've got a few guys that are raw, uh, got some potential, uh, that, w- that we'll see, you know, it's kind of like quarterback where we haven't seen a whole lot of these guys in the field. So uh, it's hard to know who's going to step up at this point. But Carson Wells is one that is a junior that uh, you know, has been around the last couple of years. He's played well, and he's one that they're going to need to step up. 
So with the transition with the coach and the transition at quarterback and a transition with a big-time playmaker, how much hope is there in the short run? Because I think most of the preseason stuff, Colorado and Arizona are constantly at the bottom of the Pac-12 South. Does anyone expect a quick turnaround? Uh, or is it the notion that, yeah, they're going to be near the bottom of the Pac-12 South and it's going to take a while to, to grow their way into a better spot in the division? Yeah, in my opinion, I, I think it's unrealistic to expect them to be real good this year. I mean, especially the fact they have no spring ball and no summer. You know, Darrell came in late, is, and I mean, he barely got his staff hired right. So uh, these coaches hadn't even really had a chance to get to know the players and, uh, and certainly have never been on the field with them. So um, I think it's unrealistic uh, to, to expect them to do much this year. I mean, I could see a three- or four-win season uh, this year, and, and that's tough for them. Uh, like I said, going back to recruiting, that's going to be tough for them uh, for a little while. Uh, this might be something that kind of stunts their growth for a couple years. Do you think they need to tone down the schedule? I mean, they're opening up with Colorado State, Fresno, and Texas A&M. Uh, you don't never know uh, from year to year, but uh, that, that looks like it's a little beefy. It is a little beefy, and it's a lot beefy. <laughs> you know, I, I did something on the schedule a year or so ago, and uh, there are not many examples around the country you can find that, of schools like CU that have scheduled so many other Power Fives over the next decade. And, uh, I mean, they've, they've bitten off a lot, and I think a lot of it is, you know, financial. They want to get uh, attractive games for their fans. But, I mean, you look at that schedule, and there's a lot of seasons coming up to where, They've got two Power Fives as their three non-conference games. So, you know, and they've dropped a lot of the FCS games. So, you're looking at, at seasons where they're playing like uh, TCU and Nebraska, you know, something like that. And that's tough. And I think that's a lot uh, to bite off right now for a program that's really struggled. And um, you know, I'm curious to see how that plays out for them. I mean, this year is you know, with only one Power Five, that's sort of a soft schedule for them if you look at the next decade. So. This year's not too bad. Is the CSU rivalry solid? Are they going to keep playing that on a neutral field? Is it going to revert to home and home? What? How is that going to play out? Uh, this is the last year of it, actually. They're going to play. Uh, last year was their last year in Denver. This year they're playing up in Fort Collins, and then they take a break for a couple of years, and then they're going to return to on-campus sites. And it won't be every year, but they'll play – kind of two years on, two years off. That's the, kind of their plan for the, for the future going forward. So what I'm getting from you, correct me if I'm wrong, is you believe Tucker's departure is going to set the program back a couple years, or do you think the program was going to take a dip even with Tucker? Well, I think the combination of the Tucker departure, but then also uh, this pandemic and, and not having – this offseason with the new coach. I think those two things combined are really going to set this program back. And um, not so much the, I think it's more so maybe the pandemic than the coaching change, but okay. uh, certainly the late departure of Tucker and, you know, Darrell being hired so late in the process combined with this, I think it's going to set them back at least this year. And, uh, you know, we'll see going forward. But I think that this year is going to be real tough for them. So, obviously, they've been rebuilding a lot of facilities there. Does the pandemic impact the timeline of all of that? Because a lot of the recruiting issues could be traced back to the fact that they were kind of behind in the facilities race. Yeah, not really, because their football facilities have been built for a couple of years. It's more, 
they've got some long-term plans uh, for other upgrades that they haven't even started yet. So um, I don't think the pandemic affects that yet. Um, I think if there's no football and they and there's a loss of income there, that certainly could change things. But I think right now it doesn't affect really what they want to do uh, facilities-wise. Well, Brian, we appreciate a little bit of time. Thanks for joining us, and we will uh, we'll follow the buffs down the road. Thanks for coming on the air with us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There's Brian Howell. He writes for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera from Colorado, who has a coaching change, to Washington, who has a coaching change. Christian Capel covers the Washington Huskies for The Athletic, and he joins us next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Christian Capel. He covers the Washington Huskies for The Athletic, part of our spring football tour as we go up and down the local team's roster or uh, schedules. Christian, good morning. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Well, coming up with a list of questions about the Washington Huskies is easy. you got to start right at the top. College football coaches are the CEO, the face of the program. They stay while players come and go. And Washington had one of the most recognizable faces in college football. Chris Peterson, with all the success at Boise State and then the two conference titles at the, in the Pac-12 at Washington, he's out. Jimmy Lake is in. How does this change Washington football? Well, I think that the sort of the foundation of the program will look largely the same. I mean, Chris Peterson's big thing that, that they sold recruits on that was you know built for life. And they're keeping that. They're still calling it that. You know, I'm sure they'll still bring in the the speakers on on Wednesdays to talk to guys about you know all kinds of topics that aren't related to football. And and I know that um, the culture that Chris Peterson established there, as far as developing guys for their life after football and all those sort of things, was something that Jimmy Lake was really drawn to. And I don't think he wants to change much about that. Um, but, you know, I, I think he, he has his own idea of what the offense should look like, obviously made a change at coordinator and, and brought in John Donovan this offseason. This would have been his first spring installing that offense. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the defense, he's he's had a big hand in for the last six years, so I wouldn't expect a whole lot to change there. But um, it, he'll, he'll put his own spin on things. You know, that was kind of what was going to be so interesting about this spring. Obviously, they have a lot of position battles, and it would have been – starting a quarterback competition and, and trying to figure some things out, a receiver, an inside linebacker, and they'd have three new offensive line starters. But I was interested to just kind of see, okay, you know, what is what are their practices going to look like? Is this going to look like a Chris Peterson practice? You know, is Jimmy Lake still going to be working with the defensive backs? Is he going to be spending more time with the offense? Is he going to kind of be bouncing all around the different position groups? So um, we kind of missed out on our chance to see sort of how things are, are going to begin to change. Uh, you speak of Donovan. I think he's coming in with a pro-style offense, as I understand, and obviously there's losing quarterback. Three guys uh, in the battle for starting quarterback. But I'm wondering, is there some kind of state law that the starting quarterback for Washington has to be named Jake or Jacob? 
Well, then, yeah, Dylan Morris and, and Ethan Garber's better hope not, right? <laughs> yeah, like they're only de- they're down to one now. So with Jacob Eason going pro, they've they've only got one Jacob left. So and he's, I you know, if, if you were handicapping it, um, he probably would be the the slight betting favorite right now, just because he spent last year as a backup, and he is the oldest guy. Although with a, a new system coming in, maybe that levels the playing field a little bit, and I think people expect. Um, Dylan Morris, the redshirt freshman, to to be right there. Uh, people have said a lot of good things about him since he got to campus last year. I think he had a really strong redshirt season, both on the scout team and, and from what we were able to see in fall camp. Even you know, getting uh, a handful of reps here and there, he looked like the kind of guy who would function well within a pro style offense. And then you know, Ethan Garber's that's uh, just uh, another spring storyline that they got bumped back because he was gonna he you know he is enrolled he's still home in california taking uh taking college classes just just at his parents house online like like everybody else is right now but he would have been up in seattle and and would have been the third guy in that quarterback competition so yeah whenever those guys are, are able to practice and, and get at it it really does feel like that competition is going to start out about as even as it possibly could there were stories around the NFL draft that the Huskies kind of had a disappointing performance there because some of the guys, the, the 40 times, weren't what people thought they were going to be and lack speed. Now, those guys are gone, so it doesn't really matter to Washington football going forward. Uh, but is there a lack of team speed up and down the roster, or is this just some one-offs testing for the NFL and it doesn't mean anything? Uh, I think that they're improving in that category. Um, it, it's it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, Savon Ahmed had the really shocking 40 time. I think people expected him to be in the in the 4-4 range. I know he'd been clocked you know, handheld at under 4-4 at their team combine last spring. And if you watch him play, I think, you know, he, he definitely looks like a guy who plays a lot faster than what his 40 time reads. So that was, I think, kind of a, a head scratcher for a lot of people. But um, yeah, I think the bigger issue, I don't know if it's just straight team speed, but they've kind of lacked big-time playmakers at the offensive skill position. I mean, obviously, everybody knows about Miles Gaskin, and, and he had a great career, and he was super reliable and consistent. But, you know, since John Ross and Dante Pettis moved on, um, they've they've just kind of been okay at receiver, and they've kind of lacked that, you know, that big body or that real electric, you know, speedster who can take the top off of defense. I think they've recruited um, a few guys who can sort of fit that mold. I think obviously Puka Nakua showed to be that kind of guy last year who you know is six two and can go up and win a fifty fifty ball and he's competitive and he's strong and he's just the kind of guy who's going to go up and make plays and score touchdowns for you. They're adding a couple freshmen um, in the twenty twenty class, Jalen McMillan and, and Romo Dunze, who were two of the, the more highly thought of receivers out West in the 2020 class. So um, I think they've, they've upgraded, but um, again, still have a, a lot to prove in terms of just seeing those guys go and do it on a football field. How about at running back? You already mentioned Snockmed uh, taking off, uh, looking like it's going to be a, a two horse. Uh, I don't know want to say battle, but a compliment maybe with uh, a McGrew and a Newton. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if, they have a 20 carry back necessarily. I mean, I think they have guys who can do that. I don't know if you're going to see a, a total, you know, hey, this is the clear cut number one, and then, you know, a couple guys are just going to kind of pick up the scraps behind that guy. I think Richard Newton could be that number one. 
Um, Sean McGrew, obviously, you kind of know what you've got there. He's a fifth-year senior. He's been pretty steady. Whenever he's gotten opportunities, he's made the most of it. And they have a redshirt freshman named Cam Davis, um, who I think was kind of on the cusp of playing last year as a true freshman. They actually did get him into two games. Um, They gave him two carries against USC and then two carries in their bowl game. So I, I think they... They really liked him and wanted to sort of you know get him going a little bit and see what he looked like carrying the ball in a, in a real college football game, um, and so I you know, I think they really like his potential. He was a, a big recruit for them two classes ago, um, four star guy out of out of California. So I you know, I, I think that those three guys are probably your top three. Um, they've got a true freshman coming in named JV on Sunday from Waco, Texas, who is kind of similar to Richard Newton and it's just kind of that got that that violent you know real physical bruising style about him so you know maybe he's a guy who could win some carries too I think they've got a a solid top three right now so we have seen the uh the Utes chasing Washington forever and they finally beat them and a lot of it has to do with the Ute defense and a lot of that has to do with the Ute defensive line being able to win their matchup most of the time is Washington going to have an elite defensive line to hang its hat on? Uh, I think it's going to be better, and I thought it was pretty solid last year. Um, but now, you know, not only you've got Levi Onzerike and Josiah Bronson both back as, as seniors, and those were their two primary starters on the interior last year, um, but then they've got a, a whole lot of talent in the, the 2018 and 2019 classes who are all a year older. Um, the guys like Tuli Latuli Nasanoa and Taki Taimani um, from Salt Lake City East High School, uh, but both played last year as redshirt freshmen. Kind of got their feet wet. You you know sort of flashed. You could see the potential there. You could see them being you know really tough run stuffing type guys in the middle of that D line. I think they're going to play a lot more this year. Um, they signed three four star D tackles in the 2019 class who all were able to redshirt last year, but played a little bit, you know, within the four game limit, like Fatui Tuatele, Jacob Bandis, uh, Sama Bahama. And then uh, their, their fourth guy, they signed in that class, Noah and Galu. I think, you know, any four of those guys could contribute. So it's an interesting combination of, you know, the, the two seniors who have played a ton and, and you kind of, you know, what, what to expect from them. And then I think they'll be able to experiment with about you know six or, or seven guys behind them and try to figure out what the, the best combinations are going to be at those two inside spots. Well, I've always thought that Washington has been a school that has produced a number of defensive backs. The secondary seems to be always good with all sorts of athletes all over the place. So you just spoke on the defensive line there. You know, I'm pretty solid. I'm wondering if the biggest question marks is at linebacker. Yeah, it is absolutely, and it's particularly the two inside linebacker spots. The outside linebacker, their their defense is, you know, it depends on their personnel, but usually is, is essentially a defensive end. And I think they feel pretty good about Joe Tryon and Ryan Bowman at those two spots. And a guy like Layatu Latu, who who looked like a, a pretty promising player as a true freshman, and got a couple other guys who will compete for time. But those two inside linebacker spots were really the sort of the weakness of their defense last year. I mean, they, they weren't as tough against the run as they wanted to be. Now they still, you know, were a national top 20 scoring defense when all was said and done. They, they gave up less than 20 points a game. And most of their issues last year when they lost were, were offensive. But um, I think they do expect to be better there. Um, Edifon Ulafoscio was a, a guy who walked on for them initially out of Bishop Gorman High School. Um, everybody loved him from the day you got to campus. You played some on special teams as a, as a true freshman. 
wound up starting three games at linebacker last year, I think the last three games of the season, and um, had a, a big game against Oregon State and, and looked really good in the bowl game and earned a scholarship in the offseason. So I, I think he's a guy that people expect to you know, take that next step and, and maybe be a full-time starter there. Obviously, uh, a handful of younger guys alongside him, you know, Jackson Sermon and MJ Tafisi, um, who will both be uh, both be sophomores. Tafisi sounds like he'll be 100%. He had a pretty scary uh, stinger injury last year that ended his season, but whenever they hit the practice field next, I think they expect to have him be full go. So I think those two guys are probably going to get first crack at, at competing for that other job, but they also signed four guys uh, at inside linebacker who redshirted last year. And, you know, some, some who I think have gotten bigger and, and they feel pretty good about going forward. So, um, you know, not a lot established there. And those three starts that Ulifoscio had last year are the only three starts they have returning at inside linebacker. So, um, assuming that, you know, he, he kind of carries on and, and locks down one of those spots. Yeah. You're going to see kind of like D line six or seven guys competing for that other one. Christian Cable covers the Washington Huskies for the Athletic. You already referenced uh, some of the Utah guys on the roster. I think there's four. There's at least one assistant coach with ties to the state of Utah who coached at Utah State. Should we just assume the Huskies are going to be back here recruiting nonstop? Oh, yeah. There's there's no doubt. Um, and they just I just got a commitment uh, over the weekend from uh, Voy Tunufi, another D lineman out of uh, Salt Lake City East High School. So, yeah, that's uh, that's been a, a very positive recruiting ground for them. He man, Ty Jones and Puka Nakua at receiver, um, Taki Taimani on the D line, um, MJ Tafisi's I believe from West Jordan. So um, yeah, it's they kind of see their recruiting footprint as the the whole West Coast. You know, it don't go into. Idaho and Wyoming and Montana as much, but when there's a guy there who's a Pac-12 caliber player, they they absolutely will recruit him. So, and you you know Utah has been sort of right there as a, a state that has produced it seems like at least one or two guys for them in each of the past few classes. So remember when Bronco Mendenhall got elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach at BYU? He acknowledged that he didn't even know most of the names of the guys on offense. Now, he had only been there a couple of years. Lake has been around for a while. How was that transition going to be from him, for him going from the coordinator to head coach as far as what he's going to have knowledge-wise and influence-wise over the offense? Well, I, I think it, it might be made smoother in some ways just by the fact that he, he went out and handpicked his own offensive coordinator. Um, and, and, you know, Jimmy Lake is a guy who – places an extremely high value on NFL experience. He coached in the NFL as an assistant uh, with Tampa Bay and with Detroit, spent time with Rondé Barber in Tampa Bay, um, and, you know, really feels like any coach who has gone from the college level to the NFL level and returns to college is coming back to college with a much wider knowledge base. And I think that's what he saw in John Donovan. And, you know, he kind of, Jimmy Lake described the offense that he wanted before they ever had a coordinator, before they even made a change of coordinator. He said he wanted them to be bruising, physical. It would probably be pro style. And it's pretty easy to imagine a quarterback under center a little more often, um, still utilizing multiple tight ends like they have the past few years. And then, you know, build a, a play action or vertical passing game off of that. I think that's what a lot of people expect. But, you know, he went out and found an offensive coordinator with that vision in mind, knowing what he wanted it to look like. Obviously, he liked what John Donovan had to say 
Um, I, I think that, you know, Lake also describes himself as kind of an X's and O's junkie. He's really into football strategy. Um, I, I think he probably feels like he's got something he can add on the offensive side of the ball. I, I would still expect him to be pretty heavily involved in defensive game planning, but um, he's a he, he's a pretty smart guy with diverse interests within the game of football. And, um, you know, I, I think he's already pretty familiar with the, the talent and the ability they have offensively, what their strengths and what their weaknesses have been. And um, I would expect his touches to, to show up on that side of the ball as well. Christian Capel joining us, covers the Huskies for The Athletic. I was reading some of the stuff you've written, and you got questions about realignment. There's one that never goes away. Would Washington ever leave Washington State and bolt to the Big 12 if USC and Oregon were? How realistic is that, and how much is that is, uh, you know, some hardcore fan in his basement dreaming up nightmare scenarios, hacking away at the computer <laughs> at 2 in the morning? Well, I think it started when USC's new athletic director, Mike Bond, basically said in an interview that, hey, look, we're not, you know, I don't want to misquote him, but the, the gist of it was, hey, you know, we're not thinking about realignment, but anything's on the table. And, you know, I think that any Pac-12 member school right now is looking around and seeing what the, the media deals look like at the other Power Five conferences and the fact that Michigan State was able to just hire Colorado's head coach away because they could pay him a ridiculous amount of money per year that, that Colorado could never match. And that's not even one of the premier football programs in that conference in the Big Ten. So the revenue gap is, I think, really concerning, and that's driving a lot of the conversation around, you know, hey, if, if you know, maybe it's a Big 12, maybe it's another league, but if, if another power conference league ever did expand and they wanted USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington, which I think would be viewed as sort of the four most high-profile brands in the league right now. You know, would Washington be able be willing to leave, you know, a hundred years of tradition behind, leave their primary rival behind in another league just to, you know, basically get a bigger paycheck and a better crack of the national championship somewhere else? Obviously, I mean, that, that's such a big question and, and such a, a hypothetical. It's hard to even get your head around all the factors and everything they'd have to take into consideration. But, um, you know, I think my response was basically, hey, it, it, would, it would depend on what your values are as a university. You know, do you value sort of being a steward of, of West Coast football and, and the role you've played since the Pacific Coast Conference was formed all the way back in 1916 and being a charter member and, and you know, being a part of a league that, that – you're in with a bunch of other peers who are research institutions like yourself, or is it just about giving your football team the very best chance of winning national championship every year and enriching your athletic department? And if that's your goal, and if you feel like, hey, you know what, we're going to get left behind if we stay in the Pac-12, if, if especially if USC and UCLA and Oregon leave and we stay back in this conference, now we've lost all of our all of our, you know, big brands and, and going to have even less national profile and going to be even further behind in terms of um, revenue generated by media deals, you know, it's, it's something to take into consideration. But I think, you know, especially with the current circumstances and, um, you know, what the, the coronavirus and the shutdown and everything is, is going to do to athletic department budgets, um, I think those discussions are, are going to be a ways off if they ever happen at all. Christian, we appreciate you taking a few minutes and coming on the air with us. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. This is Christian Capel covering the Washington Huskies for The Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next.